We uh, met a character last week, and do you remember what he was called? One of you smaller types? Somebody remind me of the name of the person on that screen. His name was Spaceman Southside Sam, right? So Spaceman Southside Sam is wanting to teach us about heaven. And uh, he's the best kind of guy to do that because heaven is a spaceship. Well, it's not an actual spaceship or starship, but it is more like a spaceship than we usually think. So what I began to do last Sunday was try to convince you that the thing that is important to us, and this comes from a a great theologian called N.T. Wright. He is absolutely number one in most everyone's opinion, in terms of thinking theologically for the church today. He's a bishop in the Anglican Church. And uh, he has said for years and years, our hope is not the life after death, but the life after the life after death. And it, it always takes us a while to get our heads around this. Every time I say it, I think, did I say that right? It's not the life after death, but the life after the life after death. That's what's our hope. So I have a challenge before me today because last Sunday, without mentioning names, a guy who runs Resol, who's my friend, who tells me the truth about myself, said I didn't sell this story very well because he was quite interested in going to heaven as I described it. And here I am telling you that that's not the important place. And he said it just sounds like a lovely place. Seems like a restful place. It seems like a holiday. So why would I want to do anything more than just go to heaven? So my job today is to convince you that the value of spaceship heaven is not to be our final destiny, but to get us to our final destiny, all right? To get us to our final destiny. So we're talking about hope. In uh, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul is wanting to argue for love, but he says there are three things that remain, right? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest is love. He's wanting to convince the Corinthians about that. Well, faith looks back, and love looks around, but hope looks forward. So what is our hope? What do I hope for? What am I longing for um, as I follow Christ, both in this life and beyond this life? So we said that to talk about heaven, you have to talk about earth. And I hope that you will quickly agree with me about that. When we figure out earth... Then we begin to understand why heaven is not um, a destiny far away, but in fact is a means to get to our final destiny, uh, which is a new earth. And so when we think about this, um, let me bring some ideas to you this morning. Um, And the first idea comes from Revelation 21 verse 5 that says, Behold, I am making all things new. We go, ho-hum, got that, right? No, I don't think we do. See, we have the idea, generally speaking, that this earth is throwaway. We think that when we're done on earth, we're done with earth. We're going to heaven. We even sang like we believe that this morning, that I'm not here to stay. I'm going to my final home, which is heaven. But all the way through the Bible, both in the Old Testament and New, if you look in Isaiah, lots of passages there, look in the Psalms, Look in the epistles and in Revelation, and you will find that the Bible talks a whole lot about a new earth, and it doesn't talk about heaven very often. 
The reason for that is that we are destined not for heaven, which is a place far away, but we are destined via heaven to come back to earth. And I think that's incredibly good news. And I think that I could sell a trip to the new earth spades and spades better than selling you a trip to heaven, if, if you believe what I have to say to you this morning. So, behold, I am making all things new. How could that have been um, written rather than this? It could have been written like this. Behold, I am making all new things. There's a difference, right? Behold, I'm making all things new as opposed to behold, I'm making all new things. So I want to apologize to anyone who believes that this body is going to totally disintegrate and you'll have no more of it. And you get your body back, and you're going to have to listen to me. You get your body back. I saw you drifting off to sleep there, and the new body won't be falling asleep on his pastor, that's for sure. <laughs> what does it mean when Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new? Look at uh, some more of the language of the New Testament. We're told in Acts 3, and it's, this is Peter preaching about Jesus. And he says, Whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. Wow, what is that? Whom? It's about Jesus. And Peter says, Heaven must receive Jesus until the period of restoration of all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from ancient time. John tells us that the risen Jesus says, Behold, I'm making all things new. I'm not new, making new things, I'm making all things new. So that's us, that's everything around here, right? They're all things. And we're told that he's, he's going to make all things new. He's going to make Milton new, unless I'm really off my game here. And Jesus goes to heaven but he doesn't go to heaven to stay forever. Peter says, heaven will receive Jesus until the period of restoration of all things. Restoration of all things. I'm going to make all things new. It's going to be the restoration of all things. So let's keep tracking with this. Romans chapter 8 um, is a phenomenal passage um, that... that tells us this, and I'm going to read more than is there before you, but you'll, you'll catch up with me. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will also be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. Can't talk about heaven without talking about earth. 
Here's the story of Earth. Earth has been subjected to futility. So that's our word for this morning, futility. And our other word this morning is, again, the word corruption. So what happened to us also happened to creation. We became thoroughly corrupt, right? So we did a whole journey through that from our friend Athanasius, who said it's not just that we sin, it is that we are through and through sinful. We are totally corrupt. And you, you can't fix that by just stopping the behavior. You have to fix the disease. But we think about that in terms of our own lives and our salvation. And Paul says, but don't forget about creation because what you're going through, creation is also going through the very same way. Because your lives, because of the corruption of which you are part in your fallenness, your lives are committed to futility. And creation is committed to futility until it gets released from what God has subjected it to. What is futility? What's a good definition of futility, do you think? When was the last time you felt futile? So I'm thinking at the tables, maybe this was an exercise of futility, right? Trying to build something beautiful out of salt dough and oh, what I wanted it to be, what I imagined it could be, well, all it is is a boot. Not that the boot is not lovely, right? <laughs> futility is... is the way it feels to be in the middle of corruption. And creation is full of futility. And Paul says, can't you feel the groaning? Can't you hear the groaning? And I think we can. Not only in terms of the world's people, but the world itself as a planet. Earth as a planet is groaning. And there is the remnant, there is the message from God about his initial creation, and it, it sort of flourishes every now and then, but the sense of futility is overwhelming. And Paul says, yeah, because when we want to talk about heaven, we better talk about earth. And earth is not just going to be given over finally to its corruption. It's going to be set free when you are set free. So there's a two-part hope for the Christian that we hope to be recreated, but not only somewhere away from here, but we will be part of a creation that will also be recreated. I make all things new. There's going to be this renovation. There's going to be this renewal. And there is a hope that dwells among us. Futility. Where do we experience it? I experience futility gardening. Don't you? No, <laughs> John doesn't because John has the Englishman's touch, the Welshman's touch. Well, almost slipped there. <laughs> Boy, that was, I dissed Audrey and now I dissed John. It's not in a good place here. So what happens when every spring comes around? I, I get filled with hope uh, and along with Annabeth. And for a while, um, our kids have, for Mother's Day, um, they have given us you know, gift certificates to garden centers and that. And, and so every spring you start over and you begin to imagine the incredible garden that's going to grow. And then what happens? It does begin to grow and it's lovely, but also weeds begin to grow. And the pests that weren't there two years ago but showed up last year have come back again this year because they like it there. The aphids on the roses chew the roses to pieces. And you, in the middle of it, you go out and you throw your hands up and you say, this is an exercise in futility. 
So there's an enormous hope that says, I, I imagine an August night when we'll sit out having a barbecue and we'll look at all of the planters and we'll look at all of the gardens and they will be in full bloom and full color. And then it comes that time and you look around and you see that even the geraniums have been chewed up and they're hardy. What is that? It is, it is the, the ambivalence of hope that you long for something still but it just doesn't ever come about fully the way you want it to be. And Paul says, yes, that's the groaning of creation. Because creation is waiting for us to be redeemed, to be set free, so that it can also be set free, because I make all things new. Jesus has gone to heaven, but he's only going to stay there until things have been finished so that there can be the restoration of earth. And the hope that we have is not about life after death. It's about the life after the life after death. So as I think about that this morning, um, I, I want to just begin to wonder with you what it will be like in that new earth. So the story is, um, when we die, we go to heaven. No question, we go to heaven, said last week, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But where is heaven? Is it a place that we go to and stay? No. It's a place that we go to to rest, to anticipate, and then to come back from or in to earth. We're going to talk in the next couple of weeks about the new Jerusalem. It's the capital city of the new earth and the new heavens and the new earth. But we will come from heaven in the new Jerusalem, which will be the capital city of a recreated earth, which will be set free from its futility. Can you imagine what that will look like in, in almost any area of our lives? So I will plant a garden in the new earth, and it will virtually bloom around me. The colors will be more vivid. The, the smell will be more fragrant. The glory will be even greater. And Paul says, yeah, he says, the, the stuff that you're suffering with, even in your life situation, it can't be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to you. Because Jesus says there is a recreation going on. So I am wondering about what we might call post-futility wonderings. So let me ask these several questions and invite you to ponder these things. First of all, what will nature be like? How beautiful is nature now? It's sometimes staggeringly beautiful, isn't it? And that's while it's under futility. What will it be like when that's gone? What will the escarpment look like? You say, well, there's not going to be any escarpment. Yes, there is. That's the point. We're not in a planet somewhere far away. We're back here, and some of us are going to be around the escarpment. What's it going to look like? What is nature going to be look like? What will animals be like? There will not be cats. <laughs> Just so you know. Uh-oh. Okay, I'm, I'm working on five offenses this morning so far, so we're good. Will there be animals in heaven? In, yes, in heaven as in the new earth? Yes, indeed. When, when, when we get passages like the lion lying down with the lamb, that's not imagery. That's saying that there will be a taming of the animals in the new earth. What's that going to be like? I mean, look at the splendor of animals now. 
And note that those wolves that howl and terrify you when they howl, when they howl in the new earth, it'll just be wondrous to hear them, the music of their howling. This isn't fanciful. I'm just saying that's what I'm looking forward to. That's the life after the life after death. What will music be like? As gorgeous as music is now, as fulfilling as music is now, it will come away from its own futility. Somehow or other, futility must have touched music. What will it be like in the new earth when there's no more futility in music? It means when you practice, you'll remember. It means that when you have a sheet of music before you, you'll be able to play it. It means if you wanted to be a violin player in this life, you have millions of years to become a violin player. I'm serious. You'd rather play a cello? You can do that after 100 years of violin if you want. Because the new earth is not a static destination. Because it is like the first creation in many ways. It is a becoming. It is a growing. Why is this universe so huge? Because we're going to need one this huge for eternity. What will play be like? Oh, you, we won't play in the new earth, will we? Of course we will. God is a God of play. So maybe there will be sports. Maybe the Maple Leafs. Well, that's hell freezes over, I think, is the same thing as, right? Okay. Six. Woo. Okay, I'm almost done, so I think I'm probably going to enter. What will learning be like? See, I, we're not going to all of a sudden know everything and be a walking Encyclopedia Britannica. We will be learners forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Because the first creation is our primer. They did not know everything. They were brought into existence to learn and to grow and to become. It was moving. What will food be like? I'm on good grounds here because Jesus ate food after his resurrection. That was fish. That's okay with me. But what will food be like? What about the cuisines of the cultures of the world? See, with, with all of these things, we can kind of test them by asking, do those things look like they are an aspect of futility? Or do they look like they are just a limited sort of indication of the incredible expanse of reality that they will be? So God designed us, he designed the human body to be sustained by food. What will that be like? The good news is we have millions and millions of years to explore our tastes and our palates. Those that are want to be um, cooks and chefs, you have lots of time. There'll be kitchens like this and better all over the place. And I'm serious. If somebody can check me and say, this is nonsense, this is fanciful, go ahead and do it. Because the Bible tells me that it's not heaven away someplace, it is this earth made new and released from futility because the corruption has been dealt with. A few more questions. What will science be like? Will, will we again reach a place where we say we know everything to be known? Absolutely not. Our inquiring minds and exploration will still be at work. 
What will politics be like? There will be politics, right? The disciples are told that they're going to have jurisdiction over areas. So what would politics without futility look like? That would be politics in which people would properly and obediently respond to those who have the role of giving them governance. Imagine that. Imagine politeness, finally, in politics. What will technology be like? What will the arts be like? What will be the development of visual arts, um, creative arts, dance arts, musical arts? What languages will we speak? Did you think English is the eternal new earth language? I don't think so. In fact, if you go in the Old Testament, people will say that languages came as a curse because of people cooperating against God. Languages existed before Babel. And we're told in Revelation that there will be people of every tribe and language and nation together worshiping the Lamb. Languages are ways that we express our imagination, our creativity, our thinking, our processes. And so various languages will suit us better. So if you don't learn that languages easily, it doesn't matter. You've got millions of years to master whatever language you want. Will we all immediately know every language? No, I don't think so. It'll be a joy of journey of learning. What will we build? That'll be interesting to see. What will commerce be like? Will we do trading with one another? I think that's part of being human. What will discussions be like? Will we ever disagree with one another? Yes, post-futility. So there is a kind of disagreeing that is so encumbered by baggage and the corruption of us that we can't get very far. But remember those university chats in the dorm or at the pub where they were just well-intentioned, friend with friend, iron on iron, hard subjects. I think in the New Earth we can deal with the hard subjects post-futility. What will rest be like? It seems to me we're still going to need to sleep. What will it be like to be post-futility sleepers? How many of you wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning and think, what is wrong with me? Why can't I sleep through the night? What will real rest feel like? See, if we're going to be around for millions and millions and billions and billions of years, I don't think we're going to do that on the strength of previous sleep. I think we're going to need to sleep. We're going to need to rest. Because God is a God of rhythm and rest. So why would the new earth not be visited by that? What will houses be like? What will travel be like? I love travel. I love the cultures in travel. I love the languages in travel. But you know, we will have the whole universe in which to travel. We may not arrive on the new earth spaceship ready. It may take us thousands of years to design our way to travel in this universe. I don't know exactly what these bodies are going to be like. I know they're individual, and they're conscious, and they're recognizable, and they're functional. But how will we travel? And then on a day like today, what will the weather be like? See, some of you actually think it should be snowy. I'm looking at that table right back there. And there are others of us who think snow is part of the fall and the corruption and futility. There's some of us who think that sunshine and heat 
is what the doctor ordered. Well, what will climate be like? It will be a planet of climate. What climate? And finally, what will worship be like? What if we had every desire and inclination and dream ready at hand? If there's no futility, if we were rid of it, if we could bring our gifts and our interests and our longings in full orb glory, because the futility has been dispensed with since the corruption is gone. What will it be like to show up in the presence of Jesus, fully able to worship him? That's better than heaven. Because heaven is only clouds and harps. This is the real thing. This is what Jesus wants. Athanasius, in talking about the corruption of the human condition, said, I will not have it, speaking as though he were Jesus. He says about the new earth, the idea that this would be an earth to be thrown away. God looks at that possibility and says, I won't have it. I won't have it. I will have a new heaven and a new earth. I will have a capital city that will be full of life and glory. And the way the, the capital city is described is about flowing water and healing trees. That, those aren't just symbolic. There's going to be a river, it says, and it's going to be for the healing of the nations. And there's going, not going to be the need for a sun planet because the sun himself will be the light of that city and that city will be the light of the world and the nations will come and go. In a real planet, real earth, real future for those who follow the Lord Jesus into heaven and then beyond. All things are new. We have the restoration of all things. Creation is set free. And we're told about the glory of the children of God. So Spaceship Heaven has a final mission. And the final mission of Spaceship Heaven is to return to Earth. We may go away for a while. We may rest up. It'll be wonderful to be there because a lot of people have gone. My mom is there and a whole lot more of my relatives, and I'm looking forward to going there and seeing them and being with Jesus. But all of us, we're all going to say, but it's going to come soon. The trumpet is going to sound, and we're all going back. And it's going to be phenomenally different. No more futility. I think that's good. I think that's better than a spaceship ride to someplace in the far outer orbits, don't you? Yeah, you do. Believe me, you do.